Welcome to Hanging Out with Hamza. This is Hamza, and today I have a special guest on straight from Portland. Her name is Mimi. She is a global creative producer. She works at the Iden or the Wyden <laughs> ad agency, right? Wyden and Kennedy. Wyden and Kennedy ad agency. And she is a mother of two and a hustler in the industry. And she will be talking more into what she does specifically and also how she handles doing all of that while being an amazing mom. And yeah, thanks for hanging out with Hamza and stay tuned. Hey y'all, this is Hamza and I'm super happy we get to hang out for a little bit. All right, guys, I want to start off with the introduction to Mimi. So I'll let Mimi kind of speak for herself. Go ahead, Mimi. Um, yeah, I'm Mimi. I am a global creative producer at Wyden Kennedy. Um, I also executive produce so short social impact films about underrepresented communities. Okay. And with that being said, um, what exactly brought you into the industry and what influenced you to do what you do now? Uh, well, I went to school uh, to be an art director, and I've always wanted to work at Wyden and Kennedy, but never thought I was good enough. So I went to school around the corner from the agency, the headquarters in Portland, actually, and I used to park in front of the building thinking that was the closest I can ever get to this creative titan and whatnot. And a few years later, I actually had a recruiter reach out to me. Um, and I've been there for six and a half years now. And I think during COVID, um, I like reflected on my time there and the platform we had and the resources and everything going on in the world. And I realized that we, you know, as cliche as it sounds, should be using our resources and platform and, and network for good. And so that's what led me to produce short social impact films. Um, and it's kind of taken off from there. And that's what's led to my role. So when people listening to this are hearing you talk about social impact and, you know, you're wanting to kind of help the minorities in media right now. What exactly are you coming across that kind of, you know, sparked your interest in this? Like, is there something that, you know, we as a general public are not noticing that you started to notice significantly being an issue in our media and what you wanted to bring to light? I think, you know, I think there's a lot of general public that don't know what's going on right now. Yeah, I think it is. So I've made three films now. Um, in the last three years, I think three or four years. Um, and each time I think folks are always like, how do you determine what you're gonna talk about? And it kind of comes to us, you know, my creative partner and all this, Titania Tran, um, she's the writer and the VO in everything. And and um, she's like my sister, but anytime that there is something going on in the world, there's many things we can talk about, but a lot of our films are rooted within um, the Asian experience, specifically the Asian woman experience. And they are very much reactive, as proactive as we try to be. Um, it is just with the times. We can't force these things um, and how we come up with ideas. But once Titania does or we our conversation sparks something that we want to tackle, that's when we like are 110% effort into whatever that is. And when I say that, when I say the effort, I don't mean just like creating the film or, or talking about it. You know, it really is making sure it's seen, heard, and it really starts a conversation that ideally isn't already started, um, you know, in the industry or among many industries. So the very first film um, was in 2020 uh, when anti-Asian violence uh, started 
started up with COVID. And I think what we noticed in our industry and outside of our industry that no one was talking about it. The conversations and the news were very siloed within our communities and mainstream media didn't pick it up. Now, you know, you hear all about it and whatnot or for the last few years, but in the very beginning, it was very much like no one's listening, no one's seeing it and no one's hearing it. And we work in a building where we get client briefs all the time and no one was tackling that or wanting to address it. So again, going back to what I mentioned earlier, we realized with our platform and resources, we might be the ones kind of suffering from these anti-Asian violence um, attacks or verbal abuse or whatever it may be, but we recognized we were more privileged than the next person knowing that we worked in a building like Wyden and Kennedy, you know, that had all these resources. So in three weeks time, we turned out around a film with $300 budget. We asked leadership to if we can make it, and it ended up garnering over $2 million of donated media um, across New York Times. Um, Dwayne Wade spoke about it on national television. Um, yeah, and after that, we, we just recognized what we're capable of doing, you know, to people that were very junior, mid-level in their careers. Um, we were able to start a conversation that was much needed outside of our community. That's awesome. And with that being said, do you feel like there's been a significant improvement in that since 2020 and the Asian violence? Do you feel like there's been a reduction in that? Or do you feel like it's just about the same, but there's been more light brought onto the subject matter? I definitely think there's more light brought onto it. Um, I don't want to say there's less or more because I do feel like reporting kind of these attacks and, and violence is is not accurate sometimes because we go back to, you know, um, folks being brave enough to say something and actually report it and things like that so while it may seem that it's like quieted down a bit and there are other issues coming to light or having you know the needed spotlight that it does i i don't want to invalidate anyone's feelings or what they're experiencing by saying like there's less of it or there's more of it or whatnot but i do think that um our films have accomplished what we wanted to and that is to shine more light on it mm -hmm. and do you mind explaining uh your film so you said you made three so total so far uh do you want to give like a brief kind of summary of what these films are each about and what the overall kind of purpose was behind them yeah um so all our films when i say short they're very short they're like um i think two minutes to four minutes long and so they're bite-sized pieces and i think that it's very intentional we work in advertising so the media donations is usually a 30 a 60 or a 90 um and so that's why we do it in that the way that we do it but also we recognize that people's attention span and what's needed to spark a conversation so we try to balance those things out um so the first one um is about the anti-asian violence during the COVID pandemic and then the second one is about the model minority myth um which i think folks learn about um, in school and whatnot, but what we really wanted to do was humanize it, you know, um, and that was sparked after the Atlanta spa shootings. Um, and I believe that was 2021 or 2022. Um, and it was our attempt in being proactive in the conversation. And when we looked at that anti-Asian violence and what it's rooted in, and, um, this was also at a time where Black Lives Matter movement was was also occurring. And we recognize that this is not a new thing. Uh, history repeats itself. And the model minority myth has been very much present to pit communities against each other. Um, it's a systemic challenge that has happened. And, and I think what we tried to do again was to humanize that. And um, are you familiar with the model minority myth? No, I was actually going to ask specifically. 
I yeah. know about the model minority. Yes. What the myth is behind the myth is that, that we're all model minorities. <laughs> um, and it's just like, it actually is rooted back to a New York Times um, um, paper that I think was like 19, I'm going to say the date wrong, the year wrong, whatnot, but it was the early 70s. And it was um, during a time when the civil rights movement was happening and also um, when the Japanese were um, helping uh build the railroads and pretty much in that article that actually you can still find on new york times website mm. um it, it was glorifying what japanese folks were doing and how hardworking they were and they were like why can't the black community be like this essentially pitting us against each other to make asians feel as if they were a different standard and that only is not detriment to our community but other communities because it downplays the struggles that we have as as part of the Asian community, but it also downplays what everyone else is going through. And so the model minority myth is just the standard that we will never reach or uh, folks think they are reaching or they're seen differently among white folks or white counterparts. And with our film, while teachers and educators have taught about this, our film, if you follow, it follows a little Asian girl that experiences throughout this throughout her life and then ultimately ending um, her with her black partner. And then our third film is called My Sister and it is about women's issues globally. Um, it tackles a lot of different issues. And I think what we were hoping to do there was connect all of those, you know? And I think a lot of the times, um, especially folks outside of the U.S. that don't get light shine on their issues and things like that. And I think our hope with this film was not to only start a conversation about what they may be going through, but also that we are all connected in a way um, like sisters, in a sense. Like in Asian cultures, when you meet folks, um, I never call, you know, I actually call you J or Am or another kind of, it's either means older sister or younger sister, depending on your age or go or auntie or whatnot. In a lot of Asian cultures, it is like that. So that's why our film is called My Sister, because before we even know who you are, you're you're part of our family. Mm -hmm. And it's just culturally what we stood by. So that was kind of the the thread as we tackled all these different issues in four minutes. Okay. That's awesome. And do you feel like in your kind of role in your job position right now, do you feel like you have fulfilled that kind of desire to establish yourself as an Asian American and influencing others? Or do you feel like there's still a lot more to be done in terms of kind of pushing forward that, that minority, um, how do I say that bias that they have against, you know, Asians and media and everything else? Yeah, I think there's always something to do. I think there's always something to push for. Our job is never done. But we also recognize that our films aren't supposed to solve the world's problems. You know, right. we're advertisers, we're storytellers. Our our hope is that our films invigorates people and it makes people feel something to start that conversation or take action. You know, our films have been are inducted into school curriculum now. Educators are able to use it to teach kids about these issues that mean so much beyond just reading a, you know, words on paper. It makes them feel something. And when you actually make people feel something, that's when they remember it versus yeah. just learning about or testing about or whatnot. And, and I think, you know, we, we do feel like we have accomplished some of our goals and not only being in education, but like policy policymakers use our films and, and, um, you know, a, a lot of Titania's spoken words are now in, um, textbooks and whatnot, but that was our hope it, for it to go beyond advertising, beyond entertainment, but more so 
for the folks that are on the ground working and can use our films as tools to um, amplify their messaging and what they hope for. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's like the quote, like art inspires life and life inspires art. I think like it's true, like art does have such an impact on us and sometimes we might not know it, but you know, a lot of my life has been inspired by movies and music and stuff. So I think what you're doing is amazing because while people might not recognize it, uh, subconsciously you start to realize like more things are being, you know, uh, burned into your brain. I think even like growing up through the nineties and like the two thousands, we, there was a lot of moments where, you know, Brown people and Asians are categorized in media as like being, uh, fast food store clerks or like, you know, like in Asian media, they're always like nerdy and like all these kinds of like stereotypes. So it's nice to see you kind of pushing that forward and breaking those boundaries and removing. And I think nowadays in media, it's becoming a lot more normal to see like a Brown actor being the main character and not just like the funny sidekick or something. So that's amazing yeah. because of people like you. Oh, that's and, very sweet of you. So I think thank we, you. we actively, yes, we try to go against the grain for sure. And, and I think historically, like we are at fault for this too. Advertisers, entertainment industry, all that. Like we were there. Like yeah. we perpetuated this, this myth and this these biases. Like you know, um, Asian men were seen as more feminine, and Asian women were fetishized constantly. So, and even growing up, you know, within um, my parents were refugees, and when they came over here, they did tell me to put my head down, work hard, yeah. and just be quiet. And I, that's what I did. I was told model minority that, thing. Right? Yeah, exactly. Going back to the model minority thing, it's like, oh, this is how you're going to be successful. Yeah. And I think when I entered wide and that's what I did, I tried to assimilate, I tried to um, replicate what I saw with success, which were, you know, white folks. Um, and obviously that didn't work for me because I don't look like them. Yeah. Well, I'm a little bit closer with my blonde hair. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it was when I started seeing my career take a shift was when I really embraced who I was and um, embraced the stories that I had growing up in my experiences but i think it's allowed me to kind of take up the space as someone who is um much louder than what you think a tarot uh typical stereotypical um asian woman is so it's it's actually been like as much as you know folks have told me they enjoy seeing this and in our films we make and things like that it's given so much back to me as yeah. well do you feel like growing up, I guess, was there somebody that was influential in you being who you are today? Do you feel like your mom had an influence in it? Or was there a mentor in your life that brought you to this kind of established personality that you have? Because mm. I feel like being a model minority is obviously the easier path to take. Yes. And typically to go against that grain, I feel like there's always a spark or something that yeah. takes you away from it. I think everyone thinks their mom is their superhero. You know, like my mom was a single mom. And um, she's amazing. But I think her being a single mom, I have three younger siblings. There were moments where I, I had to take the lead in a lot of ways. Like, um, and I think that has made me so independent and um, not reliant on others in a way. So when, when these films, you know, um, came out and are produced and things, I think folks are surprised to hear that no one gave us a brief that they're self-initiated they're self-funded it's to tanya and i going out finding funding and finding people to support us and I, I honestly think if it wasn't for the independence i gained growing up i wouldn't take that initiative and really push to do these things um but yeah okay cool well what do you i guess 
being that seeing that you are as a, a mom now, do you feel like you've played a significant role in inspiring your kids to think the same way? Because you have two daughters so. now, right? So with that being said, having two daughters that are also of mixed ethnicity, you which they're still at the end of the day minorities that will have to grow up in America, you know, minority females. So how have you kind of managed that and what have you learned from your childhood that you're trying to bring to your kids to avoid feeling a certain way? Is there any kind of tips you'd like to give to other parents who are trying to do the same thing you're doing? Yeah, I think um, my babies are the first biracial babies in my entire family history. And I, going through all this, I recognize that they're going to have a tougher time than I am. Really? And you don't think that it's going to be easier for the next generation? I think like it's going to be easier. But if you look at it and them being not only Vietnamese women, but Puerto Rican Vietnamese women, yeah, that identity, the different identities and the intersection of it, it's like biracial babies deal with a lot as well. Acceptance from both backgrounds yeah. and things like that. Well, maybe I shouldn't say it's more difficult, but it's different. I guess the challenge in finding their identity through Exactly. Yeah. And it's embracing both of them equally. And I think, I think, I think in a lot of ways I have hopefully made it easier. We'll find out, you know, in 10 years, they'll come back and be like, no, it sucks, mom. You, you haven't done your job. But I, I honestly think that, um, they are truly what inspires me, you know, however I move and the decisions I make, I always think back like, oh, like if they were experiencing this, what advice would I give them? Mm. You know, and I, I think for myself, it always goes back to whatever makes them happy yeah. and, and whatever pushes them forward. And so, you know, being their mother, I've always told them to make waves and um, at respectfully <laughs> to make waves, be loud and do whatever they feel, you know, and sometimes it could be being loud. Sometimes it is being more reserved or quiet, like what, however comfortable you are. Yeah. Um, and I think for myself and being their parent, I've just been continuing being patient with them. And I think what a lot of parents, I don't know, I can't talk speak for other parents, but for myself in, in growing as a parent is I am like the first person to admit my mistake or even I don't know something. But for my kids, even like I apologize to them, like on a weekly basis, like if I, you know, it's very tiny things, but I'll be like, I'm okay with that. I say sorry to nine year olds and five year olds all the time. If I do something, I'll, you know, whether it's um, raising my voice or, um, you know, deciding something um abruptly because i'm in the middle of doing something for work whatever it may be but i i think as parents we just have to you know accountability accountability and, and recognize that we don't know everything and it's okay to say that to your kids because then it's not like you know when i was like a teenager didn't you think that 30 year olds knew everything yeah. and now we're 30 and we're like what the fuck i don't know i actually don't know anything. oh i just realized my lots of curse yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's good because as a minority growing up too, I can say that there's been many times when my parents haven't admitted that they were wrong when they were clearly wrong or, you know, there's that pride or ego. And I think it's nice to hear you doing that with your children, because I think it does teach them accountability. It teaches them that like, we're not perfect as adults and that there's always room for growth and improvement. So I think that's a good way to approach it with your kids. Um, but yeah, the other thing I wanted to mention is obviously you have a lot of stuff going on, including a big speaking event next week. Uh, do you want to speak more into that and what exactly it's about? You know, do you, just to kind of give the audience an idea of what your role entails, because we joked about it earlier that you basically made your own role because you do so many different things. So 
Yeah, I am. Even at Wine and Kennedy, I think a lot of people don't know what I do. I'm like this enigma. We're like, what does Mimi really do? And I I think I've gotten a point in my career where I I don't mind that question whatsoever, but it really is a role that enables me to work on the things I want to work on, which I feel so blessed and and lucky for. And and I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my advocates and mentors that kind of made me brave enough or confident enough to ask for what I want. Um, so yes, I have a speaking engagement. Uh, it's this week. Yes. Next week, this week, it's like all blending together. And I do this on the side a lot. Um, different speaking engagements, I think for the, you know, uh, especially in the last year or so I do a lot of these and, and I do them for the community. Um, I joke all the time, but this really happens is that anytime I go on stage or I speak at one of these events, I black out and I truly do. I black out. Like I ask my friend all the time, like, what exactly did I say? Did I say anything embarrassing? And um, the reason why I keep doing these and having these conversations about our community is because in the very beginning, um, when I did decline them, I recognized that people who didn't look like me would take up those spaces. And, and generally in, in, an advertising, um, in the advertising industry, it was a white male. And for me, like getting off stage and every single time an Asian woman comes up to me being like, I've never heard a boat story before. I've never seen someone that looks like me on stage like that. What is really what encourages me to continue having these conversations. And I tell folks all the time, like, um, I'm not the smartest person in the room, but I feel like I can resonate and relate to people very well, so much so that they see themselves. They're like, oh, if Mimi can do it, I obviously can do it. So I continue taking up these spaces out of necessity. And if it's not for my daughters, it is for the Asian community because we are, you know, underrepresented in the ad industry. While it's growing and it's been great, and you know, we have so many more female Asian leaders out there in advertising, it could be better. It could always get better. So, um, so yes, the one that's coming up is for Ad Color, uh, which is an amazing nonprofit. Um, and I will be speaking with who am I speaking with? With Bonnie, uh, Bonnie Wan. She's the head of strategy over at Goodby. And then um, Benny Liu, who is the founder and CEO of NextShark, um, API news outlet. And uh, lastly, Denny Tu, who is the CMO of IMAX. Oh, wow. Fancy, fancy people. And then there's little old me, um, but it should be a good time yeah. for sure. And in terms of the, I guess, overall... I guess speaking engagement and everything, what is ad color's main kind of purpose? Like what is the focus of ad color itself? Yeah, ad color is is it's sounds it it is what it sounds like, ad color people in the advertising industry that are of color, but this is um it's very special because generally when you go into these advertising conferences, you know, we are still very much the minority, but at ad color, 87% of the attendees are actually people of color. Oh, wow. You know, I feel like it's a homecoming every time I go. This will be my only my third year, but it's the first time I stepped into a room at ad color, I immediately felt at home. Oh. I immediately felt like there was no need to give context or share my background or why I was saying what I was saying. Like these people already understood. Right. There was already a standard there. And if anything, it was it was our counter our white counterparts that had to needed that context to, to to continue moving in these conversations. So it is just it's a beautiful space, it's beautiful people. And I think the mission and, and what it stands for is so incredible that, you know, um I also lead Asians for ad color, and that's just on top of my regular job. I co-lead with my um co-lead Sean, and it's just because it means so much to us that that there is a space for us so we should like grab it yeah in terms of advertising i guess uh one thing i always like 
asking people about when they're in a certain industry or field is there's usually a lot of myths or mis misunderstandings about the industry. Uh, what are some common myths that you come across working in your industry or things people assume about you that aren't actually true? That assume about us. I get like funny ones. I get like, oh, are you guys like Mad Men, the show? Yeah. Did that show ruin it for you? <laughs> no, I think it was an entertaining show. Yeah. <laughs> um, Do you guys drink whiskey while you're having meetings and smoke cigarettes all the time? We don't smoke cigarettes. We smoke other things. I'm oh, just kidding. Okay. But um, no, I think I think we're very much different than Mad Men. There is like, a, it's like comfortable, casual. It's um, progressive. I don't know. But I think, yeah, common like people folks always compare us to Mad Men. I'm like, no, it's not like Mad Men, yeah. unfortunately. Um, <laughs> not unfortunately, fortunately. What do you feel like the standard personality of a person working in advertising is if you were to kind of like... Everyone's just so creative. And I, I think it's funny because um, Wine & Kennedy is, I believe it's still the largest privately owned ad network in the world. And so we don't have a board. We don't. Um, we don't have uh, stakeholder. Oh, we have stakeholders. But we don't have a board. You know, we're not public or anything like that. And so we're able to. You're not influ influenced by like a bigger head. Yeah, which is great. You know, like if a client, I think it like is different for every ad agency. But for us, if like if we're not like okay with a client, we break up with them. You know, and that's like you know on our terms. Obviously, leadership and everyone decides. But I've heard numerous stories even before I was there. It was like. You know, if if we're not feeling them, if they're not allowing us to be our creative self, then um, we move on from the relationship. But I I think, oh my gosh, I'm going in circles. What was your question again? Do you remember your original question? The personalities, but oh, I think they're cool. Yeah. I think everyone's very different. Like you'll find very introverted people, you'll find very extroverted people. But in I think the common thread is there. Everyone's really cool in their own specific way. Yeah, just super unique and creative. Yeah. Um, when you mentioned that, you know, Wyden and Kennedy is one of the biggest ad agencies in your role. Is it are you you're specifically focused on, you know, uh, minorities and focusing on Asian, especially in that is Wyden and Kennedy itself focused on that? Or do they do a, like all aspects of advertising? Like, are they focused on minorities and advertising at all? Or is it everything? Yeah, I think they're focused on just like um, progressing and moving with the times, okay. I think. But Wyden and Kennedy, if just quick history lessons. I don't know much about Yes. <laughs> well, some people say we didn't in Kennedy. Yeah. Um, but Wyden and Kennedy, our, our founder actually coined Just Do It. Nike oh, okay. was our very first client. That's why we're headquarters in... Um, Oregon oh, wow. in um like because Nike's in Beaverton um and so Phil Knight and our founders were like this our founders just passed away um a couple years ago actually a year apart from each other but um no we're like we made the Kaepernick ad we make um ads about chicken HP Visa all these different brands um and prior to my current role um I was a creative operations manager and I worked on brands like this like KFC and HP wow. um and again going back to like I, while i enjoyed it i i felt like i just needed to do more i needed right. to especially during COVID. i feel like that was a time that a lot of people reflected and, yeah. and truly asked like am i doing what i want to do so that was your like, formative moment it was COVID when you decided to kind yeah. of transition to this yeah okay kind of crazy well speaking of that nike and everything you did have a cool history behind that i did not know about the just do it but obviously your dad worked at nike which yes. is amazing and we went to Nike today and she hooked me up with what I'm wearing. So that's why I wore it as a thank you. For <laughs> but um, yeah, with that being said, um, I think advertising is such an interesting thing because 
our whole world is surrounded by advertising and we don't even know it sometimes in yeah. the age of social media where literally you're just scrolling through ads and you don't even realize it most of the time. Yeah. Um, so how has social media kind of affected your life with marketing and advertising? Do you feel like you've had to kind of learn a whole new role in that aspect or is it just something that you've just transitioned from like TV and radio to now social media? Has it been an easy transition? Yeah, it's, it's a lot. I don't even know where to start with that. Um, with that question or topic for sure and i think it's just us continuing to to move forward with the times but yeah like they're what earlier you asked like the myths of advertising like i think folks just think we make commercials and that's it no we do like out of home we do activations we do all the things and um whenever we're an agency of record for a brand or whatnot it it comes down to like a line that they can tweet or x or whatever um to a full-blown like year campaign yeah. that is just like backed with merch with like i said out of home out of home is like billboards and wild postings and things like that um but yeah it goes way beyond just just a 30 second spot yeah. i'm sure so fascinated by the psychology of advertising and uh i guess with that being said like what would you say makes an advertisement good like what what is it that kind of sets it apart from a bad one if you were to give an example of like something that you did that was successful in its message and simple that we don't even really think about like they just do it i think that's probably the simplest example because it's such a simple term but it it represents so much about yeah it can apply to anything yeah and it know? was such a catchy slogan so what would be another example for you that you worked on that I worked on that, that was catchy. Impact, yeah. Well, I think like with any good spot or whatnot, like, and you'll get a different answer from anybody in advertising. But I think one time someone described it to me as like each ad should either make you laugh, cry, or just feel overwhelming love. And I think it, when I look at great ads, they always fall under one of those three. You know, um, because we also are the ones that did, uh, when I say laugh, um, do you remember those old spice deodorant commercials where yeah. it's like, look at your man, now look at yeah. me. Remember that one? Yeah. That was us. <laughs> awesome. And we're also the ones that, I don't know if people would like recognize this pivotal shift and change, but we we, we changed the landscape of what KFC advertising was. Um, it was um, our old ECD, his name was Eric Baldwin, and, mm. and really he was the 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 brains behind all of it and, and the shift of the landscape of what KFC is now. Unfortunately, they're not our brand anymore, okay. but <laughs> we were the one that I think pushed them out of their comfort zone because that's what we asked of brands. Like we're not the agency that, you know, if you, you know exactly what you want and you just want someone to execute, produce the work, find the directors and put the work out there in media. Um, we are the agency you come to being like, we want to change everything right we want to make like, like start fresh yes completely fresh but also in the most unconventional way you can think of that will be the most exciting brief yeah. for someone like widen to jump at you know it if you if people have approached us being like we want to do the same old same old it's like we don't think we're the you know from what i've heard we we've always been like that we push the boundaries sometimes we go too far yeah we'd rather go too far and pull back than not go far enough that is like you know, I was part of a pitch um, oh, about six months ago or something. And I will say, like, we went really far. <laughs> and uh, I think I showed you some of it earlier, but because of NDAs, I don't think I can specifically say what exactly it was, but you know exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. Um, but yeah, those are, it's always fun, especially in a place like Wyden. 
Yeah, I think the Old Spice commercial is a good example of like starting fresh because that was like random as such a different yeah. kind of. And I think a lot of people copied you guys after that. <laughs> like it was a lot of really random out of the blue stuff. One of those like commercials I remember that was like that was the the Skittles commercials. Those oh yes, kind of weird. And I think like a lot of that seemed to be influenced by you guys. But yeah, I think um, you know being a dentist, I feel like. You know, when I'm in public, there's always times I'll see somebody's teeth and want to do certain work or I'm diagnosing them just based on like talking or looking at them. So you, as somebody that works in the ad agency, do you feel like you're constantly just like seeing things everywhere and just criticizing or critiquing, <laughs> critiquing like what you could do to improve it? Do you feel like that's affected your kind of like day-to-day -day lifestyle interactions? I don't think I do it too much. It must be really bad. Yeah. If I if I do think of something, but I rarely ever say it out loud unless I'm with like someone that works with me or I did something. remember we were walking on the street the other day and you saw the Victoria's Secret activation. Is that what it's called? Yeah. And like you said that and I was like, I didn't even know what the activations were. Like oh, I didn't the... know that's the term for it. Yeah. There's just like those pop-ups, right? Mm -hmm. There are a lot of those in Austin and I like don't even really think about how that's basically just I mean, obviously it's advertising, but you yeah. don't realize that that's like another form of advertising. Totally. And uh it's a very interesting form. It is. Yeah. Like you <laughs> talking about Victoria's Secret, you didn't mention Madewell. So, oh, yeah, yeah, the Madewell when they had the water and the bubble tea, we walked by it and they gave the guy came around, gave you your bubble tea and said, Oh, we're doing this thing. It made you go inside the store, even though it was a woman's only store. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> to be fair, I went in there because I felt bad, and I was like, but that's yeah. I, it was very intentional, that's true, yeah, right? And at the same time, it wasn't an accident that he came around and told you that, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's fascinating. And being a dentist, like I'm always find, finding ways where I can market myself or bring myself to the public's attention in some unique ways. And, you know, Instagram has always been one of them. I think we are so lucky to be able to use like a, this form of media that can not only market like products, but we can market ourselves now in my profession. Like I'm basically the product and I have to market myself to uh, patients and everything. And so, knowing somebody like you is great because I can learn so much about like how to affect people and how to advertise that way. Obviously I don't want to like sell myself as a product, but like it's good to know how you can impact people and emotions and whatnot, because I do think it's important to have that quality. Um, so maybe I'll start making some old spice commercials. <laughs> do people ever call in to your office and be like, I want Hamza to work on my tooth. Has yeah. I mean, I've had people from social media, like ask about my practice or where I'm located and then call in and say like they want to see me or something. So, so it's working. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And it's, it's crazy because I've also made friends like from those patients that are now just personal friends, or I've had Instagram friends turned friends, turned patients. I don't know. But anyways, like Instagram has influenced a good portion, which I think is amazing. And, you know, I think it's a, it's a testament to like, how much you can really have an effect on there um so mm -hmm. and you know if you're a good person and you promote good things i think like good things come your way naturally um but it's also like i think knowing how to you know promote yourself and spread that message in a clear concise way too um so yeah i have a lot to learn from you in that regard uh but yeah being in you know minority also living in this country and seeing ourselves more on screen and whatnot i think that's what drew me to you more as a friend is learning 
like just how big of an influence you've had in your Asian background and helping others. So I think that's what really made me more curious about what you do and how you do it. And I think it's amazing that you're doing it while fulfilling your passions and hobbies, which is why I wanted you on this podcast. Uh, but with that being said, where do you see yourself in the next five years with this industry? And like, what do you have any like goals set in mind that you want to accomplish or things that you feel like still need to improve upon? I think that's like the question that everyone always asks. Um, it's hard because with my role, as I shared with you, like it was, it was made for me. And I think it's because I always like to do a lot of things and be a part of a lot of things. And I think in the next five years, um, what I hope for is to help other people tell their untold stories. And um, obviously if Titania calls me up and says, I have another idea, yeah, I'm all over it, I'm ready for it. But I, I really, I continue doing these, even this and, and doing interviews and, and speaking engagements because I really hope that it allows others to see themselves where I'm sitting, that they can create their stories and, 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 and amplify those. So my hope is just to be a part of that. You know, it doesn't have to be my story. It doesn't have to be about the Asian community. It could be about any marginalized community um, because I think, you know, with what is out in media, I think it's great. But even just a few years ago, like any time that something that came out that was, you know, born out of the API um, experience, it had to be perfect. We couldn't screw up a little bit. So for me, the more stories there are, it allows people to realize like, you don't have to be picture perfect. You know, you can, you can do this and just push more out and then there's gonna be more variety. So I think my hope is just to have my hands in that, to, to continue helping the community and, and being part of hopefully like the progression of more underrepresented voices um, in mainstream media. That's amazing. Nice. Good answer. I know. I was like, off the top of my head. Yeah. It's crazy, right? Yeah, I'm blacking out right now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that's amazing. And uh, yeah, as as somebody who's, you know, a brown male in, in Texas, I think I felt a lot of that where there's a lot of underrepresentation in that aspect of it. So thank you for doing that. Um, going forward, uh, I don't know if there's anything additionally that you wanted to cover. There's so many cool things you're doing right now. There's so many cool projects you've worked on. Uh, but is there anything that you would like to promote or talk further about that we haven't covered so far? Or anything you feel like the listeners might be curious about? Um, no, I don't think so. I think we covered all the bases. But like, if there is anyone entering advertising the entertainment industry like and you have questions like feel free to hit me up i am more i'm like an open book and my hope is that i can share my experiences so you don't have to um <laughs> encounter kind of the barriers and the bumps in the roads that i did so if i can answer any question like feel free to reach out to me yeah and i can vouch for mimi she's really open and receptive and really sweet and pleasant to be around and with that being said she has a lot of cool stuff going on you might see her name around the media so just keep an eye out for her but also with that being said i'm going to include her information in the description and i will also promote her stuff on my instagram so feel free to follow her and follow her awesome stories along the way and if you guys have any other questions for her feel free to dm her or reach out to me and i can forward it along her way uh thank you again mimi for coming on this You're was welcome. awesome and I am excited to see all the cool stuff you're going to do. 
He's just saying all these nice things because I gave him a discount at Nike. That's yeah, that's basically. the only reason. I'm just gonna keep on going until we get more Jordans and stuff like that. <laughs> once we once I hit like twenty more of these, I'll be out of her hair. <laughs> um but yeah no i also you know i need to get in an advertising with dua lipa at some point oh yeah i'm just waiting on that Easy. so you know let's make that happen in the next five years i'm giving you that goal so okay now i have an actual goal come on okay. representation but... of brown men with yes dua lipa. it's so important in our culture right a great now. goal yeah yeah I so many people that i'm already producing that. it in my Thank head you. i'm finding ways there has to be making out and some sort of physical interaction just for the sake of social <laughs> okay so Anyways, uh, I want to say thank you again for coming on. And uh, I like to end the podcast with you asking me a question because I ask you so many. So you have free reigns to ask whatever you want as long as it's PG-13. Damn. Sorry. This is hard. Um, This is really hard. Just pretend you're in one of your ad interviews and stuff. And what's like a good... What's one of those like? Uh, I just feel like I've asked you so many questions. Are there already. humanity questions or one of those? Oh, you can okay. Do a deep one if you want. I won't do a deep one. Um, no, that's cards against humanity. That's a dirty one. What's the other one? The red cards. I don't know what the red cards are. Yeah, it's like really deep, like you know, like. Do you want to answer a really deep question right now? No, I mean you know I got a lot of people here that I don't know listening maybe, but. Oh yeah, you don't want to go too deep. Yeah. Um. I'm not that deep anyways. What kind of deodorant do you wear? Ooh, it's pretty plain, honestly. I use the, so I try to go aluminum free for a while because apparently that's like not good for you. Yeah. But I realized like I would just smell like shit after like two hours because I have a lot of hair <laughs> and I sweat throughout Texas days. So I feel like it's not peachy anymore. Okay. I use, I use Dove because it's like the most like chill scent. It's not like too overpowering and it's like nice and light um but that is pretty basic i'm surprised if you want to go into like perfumes and stuff that's where i can go further shout out to zai for getting me into it but yeah let's talk about that instead no i already asked the question we're deodorants, deodorants are so boring that's all <laughs> deodorants technically can go to perfumes so like i'm currently dipping my toes in some deodorants and right now <laughs> i'm trying out diptyques <laughs> mint it's kind of reminds me of my dad because my dad used to use like an aftershave when i was a kid and like it smells a lot like that brute aftershave i don't know if anybody and their dads used to use it especially if they had like a mustache or beard they would slap that on like just aggressively um and then i also have replica which is lazy sunday morning and i know you asked this question if you want to hear all this i'm telling you now it's just they, so they replica they sunday lazy sunday morning i'd recommend it it's a very light crispy note and then finally, I would recommend, um, honestly, Byredo, Byredo. I don't know if that's pronounced correctly, but they have this one called Animalique. If you can smell that sometime, that smells amazing. It's very like sweet scent. I'm very much into like light, crisp, sweet scents. And I know, you know, you love hearing all this, so you're welcome. Yeah. But that's my answer. Thanks I think for... all I heard was like, oh, Hamza's basic with a deodorant. That's all I yeah, heard. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I'll just cut all of that part out. People to not hear. But anyways, uh, thanks for coming on. It was a pleasure having you on here. And we will see you soon. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. I really appreciate you guys. And uh, thanks for coming to hang out with me and Mimi. Okay, me, me, me. bye. Me.